This is the second episode of the Aider and a Better podcast uh, with Avi Singh and Sajid Khan. Hello, hello. On today's podcast, we have our opening statement where we talk about the executive order from the Trump administration on the uh, Muslim and refugee ban. In our second subject, the deep dive, we talk about so-called sanctuary cities and about kind of our experiences with the criminal justice system when it intersects with immigration. In our last segment, we do our things. Yeah, let's do it. So let's kick it off with opening statements. Uh, go ahead, Saj. Yeah, you know, this, this uh, past weekend, our country just went into apparent upheaval. It's Friday, Friday afternoon, Donald Trump signs this executive order titled Protecting the Nation from Foreign Terrorist Entry into the United States. And it just sets off this uh, this chaos. It's been it's been a wild weekend. We didn't plan on talking about this, I think, yep. as of last week, but what choice but do we have but to talk about it? On our criminal law and sports podcast. Right. You know, <laughs> it, we're we're compelled um, to talk about these executive orders because it's just been it's been crazy. It's been a crazy uh, just couple days watching people get detained, watching them get released into massive crowds, and seeing kind of the the goalposts move as you know different people are being restricted. And I don't know that anyone knows actually what's happening. You know, in terms of the government carrying out this order. Well, yeah, I mean this this is so this is so uh, bewildering uh, and unexpected. You know, we all watched Trump and his rhetoric through the election cycle. And he, he went out and said, you know, he called for this Muslim ban, but none of us took it seriously. I, I certainly didn't take it seriously. I just, I just kind of... Why do, you, why do you think you didn't take it seriously? I thought that he didn't have a shot. I, I just thought he was a um, narcissistic attention grabber and that he was using these, these fringe views to get headlines and to you know, to increase his brand. Yeah. And I just didn't think he had a shot to win. And I thought that he was just saying things to get shock value. And when he says it, people start cheering. So he says it some more, people cheer some more. Well, they cheer or yeah. they boo. You know, either yeah. way, he, he, he was winning the, the headlines and he was getting the headlines. But I didn't think that he had the credibility or the um, longevity to ultimately win the election and and now that I sit here having experienced this past weekend and having seen our country kind of go up into this chaos I feel in retrospect really negligent because I didn't take Donald Trump seriously I think so many of us didn't take him seriously we didn't think that he had a shot to win I personally didn't do anything to counter him or attempt to um, help Hillary Clinton or someone else you know uh, yeah yeah, you were kind uh, of vanquish him, and yeah. and here we are, seven days, eight days into his presidency, and he's making good on what he told us all that he would do. It feels like you thought he wasn't going to win, so this wasn't going to materialize. But did you think if he won, he would carry through on this? Did you have no? That I, I, again, I I just thought that. It, well, first of all, I didn't think he would win, but second of all, I thought that if he did win, that this was just fringe rhetoric, and that he would come back to the center a bit mm-hmm. and yeah. um but that hasn't happened the ones the one thing that i anticipated though and that i 
commented on when he did get elected was I put hope back into uh, like civics lessons and yep. the, the checks and balances yep. of our system. And that has been a, a, um, a shining light or a silver lining to this, this executive order is that lawyers uh, are on the front lines. They're at the airports, they're filing habeas petitions, they're filing requests for court orders and judges yeah. are um, staying or um, you know, stopping this order from being effectuated, and it's already having tangible effects. You know, initially, there was this concern that this this ban would affect uh, people with green cards, and then the Trump administration has walked that back. Yeah. And so that silver lining that I took from the election was: look, you know, the the president is not an almighty being. There are checks and balances available to us that will put him into check and now we're testing what this is a litmus test for for our system of democracy yeah it's a stress test right? yeah oh, like the ultimate stress test it, it's it's i so in the eight years uh when barack obama was elected i felt you know a sense of elation when it happened uh and i did not have a moment related to the functioning of government of pride in being an attorney it wasn't like you know because of the way things are working it's especially good that we have attorneys. We had uh, uh, the uh, same-sex marriage decision, which was a wonderful moment for our courts as institutions, but the White House was on board. You know, we had Proposition 8 getting struck down uh, by the state Supreme Court, but the attorney general and the governor were on board. It was kind of a, a com the community had come into the courts with the assistance of other institutions. And what's interesting right now is it's this dark moment, right? It's this extremely dark, cruel uh, moment, a moment where our institutions are lacking compassion. And then seeing attorneys fight for their clients and seeing uh, larger institutional actors like the ACLU make an impact that's directly related to somebody getting out of a detention facility or at an airport, it's a it's a source of great pride um, to be an attorney, you know, to be associated with the judicial institution. Yeah, uh, that, and, and you know, John, John Lewis, Congressman John Lewis, tweeted the other night, this is a dark hour for America. And yeah. that's true, but in these dark hours of our country, it's when lights shine the brightest. And it's, if we're going to look back at this time, just as we now look back at the 1960s and Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and the, and the other prolific civil rights heroes, we're going to look at back at 2017, January 2017, as a as a prolific um, moment or crossroads in our country's narrative. And and it it's, feels like a historical moment. Yeah, we're we're in it. We're in yeah. it. And um, so that is exciting, and it's it's mm -hmm. uh, captivating, and it's. Uh, inspiring at this moment as an attorney and seeing so many of our colleagues and others in our social media networks and otherwise actually getting in on the ground level. It's really shaken us up. It's, I have corporate attorneys that are friends of mine that would never have seen a courtroom or would never have touched a real, you know, a client beyond a business or beyond yeah. some corporation. And they're, they're, they're putting in work. They're, People are mobilizing. They're getting to the airports and they're, yeah. and they're mobilizing in a really meaningful way. We were so joyful when I was getting texts about uh, Judge Donnelly's order, and we're, there's so many orders flying around that we're not, you know, it's too much is changing to say, like, to set the table, watching 
kind of the legal practice uh, take effect has been really cool for us. It has been. It has been. And I think with us, we bring an interesting lens to this whole picture, too, because we're, we're all it just as a kind of a, on a different lens to this is that we're both the sons of immigrants. Uh, my parents came here as, as my dad and mom both came here as students. But we know so many in our communities that come here as refugees or um, or in other in other ways that are going to be direct that are being directly impacted by by this this ban. It's uh, and if you look back in our in our country's history, I was just talking to a friend of mine that you you know you know the son of Vietnamese refugees. Um, if 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 that family was trying to come here today to flee uh, persecution, they wouldn't be let in. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's jarring. It's really jarring. And I'm hearing from Iranian family, uh, Iranian colleagues and Iranian uh, friends of mine who, whose families are, are unable to come back here or concerned that they might not be able to come here. It's, uh, it's, it's a scary time, but there's uh, work being done, which is really exciting. Watching the kind of triumph of due process, even for a moment, is is a wonderful thing, a vindication of our Constitution, and it makes me feel like uh, you know we have systems in place that are resilient, you know, and that can take take the punch uh, of this administration. One one thing that I wanted to talk about was um, there's been this uh, issue, uh, this feeling like, well, what do you do if you're a person of good conscience, and if you if you have a seat at the table? Right, so uh, an attorney who's a government attorney who can have a seat at the table by staying at the Justice Department or staying at the EPA or staying at the Department of Homeland Security and doing legal policy and making, you know, still having a client, right, the government or the president, but being there, right, so that you can say, this isn't the way we should do it, we should do it this other way that's legal. Right. You know, there's, there's, this case, this this executive order and how it was implemented over the weekend really challenges for me the idea that a person of good conscience should stay in the government and continue to represent the government in court. Uh, because you have an order that's issued, nobody is consulted. Yeah, uh, it was just chaos. It's completely in a vacuum. Department of Homeland Security apparently was consulted and they issued a recommendation or an advisement to not ban lawful permanent residents or not restrict lawful permanent residents from coming back in, to not uh, do exactly what happened. And then the White House said, well, we're not going to do that. So you you, you occupy... But then they, then they walk that back. They walk that back <laughs> uh, because obviously that was an insane thing to do. Um, and what we have is you, you go into the government, you want to do good work, but either you're not consulted on this, this uh, lack of compassion or, I mean... It was described in an article that we were bouncing around on lawfare as uh, malevolent. This this really really cruel piece of work, and you're neither not consulted on it, or when you are consulted, it's too uh, your advice is ignored, and now you're having to defend it. Right. And I mean, that just seems like what do you do if you're a person of conscience? Like you want to do good, and you want to serve your your community as an attorney in one of the major agencies for the United States? I don't, what do you do? Yeah, that's a great question. It, it's, it reminds me of some of the questions that I think we grapple with as public defenders sometimes. You know, sometimes we feel complicit 
in the system, or we feel like we're parts of the machine of mass incarceration, and that we don't do enough to to stand up against it. You know that you know these this whole kind of age old. Uh, battle between whether you should be fighting from within or fighting from the outside yeah and what and if you're quote-unquote fighting from within whether you're just complicit in Mm -hmm. in the machine yeah um so i don't have answers to it it just reminds me of sometimes some of the uh, quandaries that we often grapple with in our in our jobs uh, as we try to battle against this mass incarceration machine yeah yeah it's just i mean maybe that's why we find that question interesting because we're kind of always confronting it and i don't yeah, I'm not trying to suggest anything bad about people who have decided who are career employees who are staying, but it's just every hypothetical that I've wrestled with for folks who are staying, continuing to work in the Trump administration, this is this is a bad sign for that. Like this is a bad data point in the case for staying. Right. Right. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Just Sigh. deep deep breath. Deep breath. You know, yeah. I, it was. It was, uh, we were talking to a colleague before we started recording, and, the, and the, my colleague said, you know, I'm just tired of Trump. He's only yeah. been president for eight days. And honestly, like my Twitter feed, my Facebook feed, even, you know, I walk into my in-law's house, they're watching CNN. I just needed a break. And it's, yeah. only, been, it's only been eight days. And I watched the Warriors game on Saturday. I went to the Cal basketball game last night. And, and I felt selfish to a degree that I wasn't at the protests um, in San Francisco, but I needed a break. I need I need to be in this for the long haul. I need to be able to be energized and restored to to do this work, whether it be for our clients in the courthouses or in some other capacity. Yeah, we took a hike on uh, on over the weekend as this was happening, kind of monitoring or you know kind of watching what's happening, but just going outside, taking kids outside, having them look outside at trees <laughs> right. was kind of a, a way to recharge. Um, yeah, this is going to be a long term. I know we're in the thick of it as attorneys and as a as a country. But yeah. this is a long term uh, battle. So I th- I think as I speak these words, I think that's an advice that I have for myself and you and anyone else that might be listening is that you know protect yourself, take care of yourself, mm-hmm. and be in it for oh, the yeah. long haul, as opposed to you know getting burnt out in in this in these in these moments of of chaos oh yeah like uh, any sort of self-care practice that you could develop as you're kind of if you're wanting to get out and get into this arena for a fight making sure to give yourself some time right uh, to take care of yourself so we should do our deep dive yeah let's do the deep dive the deep dive is on another executive order that uh, amazingly came and went in, in terms of our news cycle because of what uh, the most recent executive order. And this executive order was one that Donald Trump signed uh, midweek last week, January 25th. It was an executive order titled Enhancing Public Safety in the Interior of the United States. And this, um, this primarily focused on the execution of immigration laws and trying to remove, um, or not trying, dictating the removal of quote-unquote illegal aliens uh, from the United States and making that a priority. And that in and of itself doesn't sound that bad uh, because that's something that our country has always been tasked with, which is to enforce our immigration laws and to remove those that are not legally here. Um, But when you look at the language of this particular executive order, um, there was one thing that stuck out to me, which was 
the enforcement priorities and it says uh, the homeland security shall prioritize for removal those aliens who have been convicted of any criminal offense and have been charged with any criminal offense which means where such charge a, has not been resolved and so any criminal offense means driving on a suspended license any criminal offense means possession of a small quantity of marijuana petty theft possession of a drug pipe yeah um it's so amazingly and absurdly broad. And, and you've got conviction. So if you've been convicted of any offense, so that's broad because it could be, there's no distinction between a crime of violence or driving while unlicensed. Right. And then it also covers people who've been arrested but not convicted. Which is just kind of smacks in the face of any notion of due process or innocent until proven guilty or proof beyond a reasonable doubt, uh, you know, any of these very cornerstone principles of our justice system. And here we have a president who is signing an order saying we will prioritize the removal of aliens, and I hate using that word, but aliens who have merely been charged with the crime. I mean, we yeah. know how easy it is for people to be charged with crimes. Uh, oh, yeah. How easy it is for me to call the police on you right now and accuse you of something, and a police officer could show up to this office and arrest me purely, or, or sorry, arrest you purely based on those words, where it has no credence or no, yeah. no, no actual legitimacy. And to and for that to wind up with a criminal charge, right, right. So, you know, conviction. If you're convicted of something, there's the safeguard of the criminal justice system, the plea bargaining process. You know, question how safe that is, but there's the you know, there's some sort of institutional or due process protection. With charging, that's a discretionary decision that's made. Uh, and we understand that you can charge things and the safeguards of the criminal justice system can protect against bad charges. You know, you can throw out bad charges. You can uh, go to a jury trial and get acquitted. You know, the, there's some safeguards. It even includes, quote, have committed acts that constitute a chargeable criminal offense. What does that even mean? What does that mean? Like who, that mean? who's making that decision? Well, yeah, you know, you 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 had a you had a, a weed pipe on you, right? You weren't arrested for it. You weren't charged for it. You weren't convicted of it. But you know, we have good information that you had a weed pipe on you, and that could be chargeable. Right. We we in the justice community have worked so hard to narrow the government's ability to deport our clients you know it, it, there was such uh, there is such nuance that has been uh, placed into this field of law um, in terms of you know what has the person what's their legal status what have they been convicted of uh, does that conviction fit within these narrow categories of deportable or removable offenses, things like that? Yeah. We in our office have hired an immigration lawyer who helps us navigate these, um, these nuances. And yeah. all of a sudden, here comes President Trump trying to wipe that all away, take away all the nuance. And it's just you're an alien, whatever that means. You've been accused of any crime equals... You don't belong yeah. here. Or and you could be accused. Right. You could be accused of a crime. <laughs> right. Right? Like, and, and to be clear, this section is about enforcement priorities. So it's, a, you know, it's, it's about who's going to be prioritized by the federal government 
uh, for removal. And, but these categories, they almost wipe away the idea of a priority list because it's, it's, it's an A to G list. It's not number one A, number two B. It's just these are all of our priorities. So, you know, hopefully it's some sort of symbolic uh, gesture, but it, it's, there are lots of times where people find themselves in kind of dual tracks. They find themselves in one track in the criminal justice system and then in another track in, you know, uh, at the DMV, right? You know, so you have an administrative process that's unfolding after a DUI. We have people who are dealing with the criminal justice system and then the immigration system. And we've had some, some connection between how your case is handled, what the final disposition is, what, you know, what you're convicted of, what, you're, you know, what you settle your case for, and then having some idea of what could happen to you in immigration court. Right. And what this right. is suggesting is, well, you know, all of that, you know, it, well, if I take some deal, right, if I settle my case, you know, for some amount of time, could that be better for me or worse for me in immigration court? We can give some guidance. But it's like that tablecloth has been pulled out from, you know, underneath the dining set. Right. And, it, and, it, and so what is a person supposed to do? You know, it's it, it's it's put all this uncertainty. It's injected all this uncertainty into uh kind of the most substantial issue in somebody's life where they are you know like right yeah and i um you know as an attorney we've been tasked with knowing these rules uh you know we've we have been um, mandated by our supreme court and supreme court decisions to to be able to effectively advise our clients of the immigration consequences of their uh, criminal uh, cases and Again, and to advocate for them in the plea process and to fight for whatever their goals right. are. And it's just... Well, you know, this, this, this order from Trump is, is another example of fear-mongering. I mean, that's really what it is. It's, it's, a, it's a product of fear-mongering uh, from him and his office and those that support him because it, 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 it rests on this principle that illegal aliens is there another word for that <laughs> people who don't have immigration status. right let's use yeah. that people don't have immigration status are more likely or somehow have some inherent proclivity to come here and commit crimes it it makes or actually it, you could even call it non-citizens right right because it's not just about status because he's going after people who have you know a, a green card or right. a refugee status or asylees yeah, and, and it's, it makes it seem as if this is a problem unique to those communities. And we know that not to be true. We walk to our Hall of Justice at any point in any day yeah. this week, and you will see in Santa Clara County our courthouses filled with people of all races and backgrounds and ethnicities and immigration statuses, citizens, non-citizens alike. And um, it reminds me of the NFL scenario when there was uh, that this trend of domestic violence in the NFL. Yeah. And, and I got this notion that people across this country were thinking that the NFL had a domestic violence problem. The NFL perhaps did have a domestic violence problem, but we as a country had a domestic violence problem. I mean, it, it, it's not something that's unique to the NFL community, and nor is crime unique to the, you know, immigrant community or yeah. non-citizens. Yeah. It's this otherization that is really problematic. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a it sets something up as if our 
uh, the, whatever problem with uh, criminal offenses that have been happening is uh, an immigration problem, and whatever immigration problem we have is, is really just about criminals, right? Uh, and, and, and we've talked about policing before, and I think that we should move to the second kind of prong of this, which is about so-called sanctuary cities. Uh, some people, some cities call themselves Fourth Amendment cities, uh, which is um, about how much cooperation local law enforcement will engage in with federal immigration authorities. Uh, so if you're a so-called sanctuary city, you might do certain things, like when you arrest people who could be subject to deportation proceedings, you don't hold them longer than their sentences so that uh, a federal authority can come and pick them up whenever they want to come pick them up. That could be one aspect Or even it. the basic collection of information as it relates to their immigration status when someone is arrested or comes to a county building or something like that. Yeah, if you're going to, you know, if you're uh, doing a traffic stop and your police officer, are you ordered by your, you know, in the course of license, registration, and what's your immigration status? Right. Right. Uh, and separate from any sort of reporting, some cities are more uh, aggressive or localities. They'll say things like, uh, we're, we're ordering our employees not to provide any information uh, to the federal government. Uh, and then those have been subject to some, some litigation. Does, does tr- we've heard like trust is something that uh, motivates folks, like trust in law enforcement, trust in policing, communities being able to seek access to emergency services is a reason why you don't want any call to 911 to result in a deportation. You know, and, and just what our thoughts are about that. Yeah. Well, I, we, you were giving me the story, and you can fill in the, fill in the story a little bit yeah. better, but this idea that if you, were to, if you were to be charged with the crime and you're you know, released on your own recognizance or bail and you're given a promise to appear in court, but you're, and you're thinking, I'll go to court and I'll handle my criminal case, but you're in the back of your mind that if you go to court, that an immigration officer is going to be waiting for you and is going to be arresting you at the metal detector or in the courtroom, um, it, it, again, it smacks in the face of our notions of due process. Um, and it smacks in the face of our notions of innocent until proven guilty. And, and it also arguably makes us less safe. In that scenario, if if the accused is afraid of coming to court for fear of being, you know, deported, then why would they come to court? And, and you could extend it, I mean, beyond accused. You could say, uh, if a person's an alleged victim of a crime, mm-hmm. you know, to call nine one one, right? Or you could say, when we're working on cases, these cases, our clients live in communities, right? The the offenses that they're alleged to have committed occur in communities and sometimes it's important to learn about those communities learn about our clients character learn about alibi witnesses learn about people mm-hmm. who could say the accuser lacks credibility and those are all happening in a community and so all of the potential witnesses who we need to learn about to bring into court yeah. right if this is a place where you know it's 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 uh, a net that you're walking into perceived or actual Right, that is going to uh, undermine. It's going to frustrate the pursuit of justice. 
Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. And I have seen that in cases where people's immigration statuses affect their willingness to cooperate either with the prosecution or with us in terms of our ability to call witnesses on, on our client's behalf to effectuate uh, their our client's ability to present defenses for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and to that point, uh, in terms of victims, if a domestic violence victim is going to be less likely to pick up the phone and call the police for fear that her boyfriend or loved one or husband or whoever it is uh, is going to get deported as a result of this call just by her very making making of that call what are we what are we doing yeah uh, the administration is talking about going after sanctuary cities somehow maybe by taking away federal funding yeah it's not somehow uh, yeah. it's actually it is yeah. it says I mean, I was just looking at that executive order. It says yeah. that they would not be eligible to receive federal grants. I mean, in a significant yeah. way. And I think there and were. It could some... be for law enforcement. Right. And if if you do that, and the end result is fewer people have access to uh, law enforcement, is that a, is that a good thing? What are we, you know? What are we doing? Yeah. It seems to me that it would be wrong to do that. Uh, and you know, if our courts are affected, that's a bad thing. I there was a case once where a, a, a young man is accused of committing a crime. Just based on the accusation, it's a serious offense that he's accused of. He's arrested, held, and immigration puts a hold on him. ICE puts a thing called a ICE detainer or ICE hold on him. The case is looking pretty uh, strong in terms of the defense. It's looking like he's an innocent person. So in the course of things unfolding, he is then released from jail, right? Pre-conviction, pre-trial just he's released but ice didn't get the memo right. so they just deport him let's say you're the 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 victim in that case and you're looking for finality or you're trying to figure out what happened do you get any finality by just having your case vanish right do we just do we just vanish this person yeah i, I yeah. it's in the the other well, yeah i mean the, the, the yeah. case goes un, unresolved and yep. there is no true sentiment of justice on either on either side. Yeah, I went to appear for a guy once uh, for a colleague, and I, you know, it was a misdemeanor uh, indecent exposure case or something like that. It was a misdemeanor offense, and uh, I show up in the courtroom, and I'm waiting for my client. It's you know on the eve of trial. It's just a status hearing, and he, he doesn't show up, and his family comes in, and they say we got to the metal detector and he was taken. Okay, so I guess the trial's not happening. You know, why was he taken? Maybe because of this, uh, the arrest. Well, we were about to have a trial. Right. You know, we were about to have an adjudication. And it's just, it doesn't smack of justice. No, not at all. And, and the other layer to this, too, is that if someone's accused of a crime or charged with the crime and then, and then ultimately deported as a result of this movement that Trump is initiating, um, it's going to split, as we as we well know, it's going to split families. There is no language in these provisions to talk about, you know, those with American-born children or those with um, American-born uh, family members and or those that have been here for years upon years but haven't achieved status. Yeah. Um, Again, in the long in 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 the long term health of our country and our communities, what are we what are we yeah. doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? Uh, part of this is to create a list of criminal offenders. There's gonna be a criminal offender list. What what is this one? 
Yeah, so part of this executive order is, um, it says, and I quote, to, to promote, oh, I'm sorry, to better inform the public regarding the public safety threats associated with sanctuary jurisdictions, the, the secretary shall utilize the decline detainer outcome report or its equivalent on a weekly basis, make public a comprehensive list of criminal actions committed by aliens in any jurisdiction that ignored or otherwise failed to honor any detainers with respect to such aliens. So basically, it's like this weekly propaganda uh, mailer or yeah. email. Uh, I don't know where they're going to put this list uh, that's going to go out saying, here are the aliens in particular communities that committed crimes. Yeah. I mean, it, it is so, uh, it's so narrow in its... Uh, in its application, and it's so it's so based in fear and bias and fear mongering and hate. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's ridiculous. It's, it's yeah. it, you know what's next? They're going to say here's a list of every Indian that committed crimes in you know California. to better inform the public. To better inform the here's public. a list of every Muslim who committed a crime to better right. inform the well, public. Well, I'm sure that's coming soon. I think this is a it, it's it's a, a ridiculous thing to do, and I I wonder if. They would better inform the public by the families who are split apart, by the uh, cases that go not closed, uh, to go to the people who are acquitted of crimes. Yeah, right? and it's it's uh, it's not real. It's 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 creating. I'm not saying that people that don't have status don't come here and commit crimes, but it again is not a problem unique to those communities. It yeah. and then by creating these lists it shines a very narrow light on a community when other communities are left mm -hmm. kind of unlooked at. Well, maybe and this, it, yeah. it, it, takes, it basically puts numbers in, in a completely uncontextualized, con in a, it, yeah, it just it has no context. I think it's gonna be, maybe it's a way for Trump to reduce the crime rate by cracking down on people and making uh, local communities commandeering local communities, taking them over, forcing them despite their desires as local communities to be uh, immigration enforcers to prevent people from contacting the police or seeking access to justice and then therefore reducing the <laughs> crime reported rate. <laughs> Nothing's beyond this man. I mean, <laughs> just, I don't know if he's that smart. so jacked up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, I don't know. Um, you know, there's, there's going to be big fights when this is carried out. There will be a legal battle. And it's going to be interesting to see how local governments, states, fight back on their kind of power to police, you know, and whether they can be subject to these types of orders. It's going to, it's going to be a big fight. And, you know, hopefully our courts can stand up and function as the check that they're supposed to function as. Well said. So you want to do our things? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, you want to go first? Sure. Um, you know, the big thing for me is that uh, last week, coincidentally, during the Women's March, last Saturday, uh, January 25th, I got a call uh, from a colleague saying that a young 17-year-old uh, in our community had been arrested and charged or arrested for murder. And so I was asked uh, to go and see that client, to meet with him, do an intake, and to advise him of his rights. So I did that, and I ended up appearing with him in court for his first court appearance on Tuesday of last week. And before this past election, 
for that type of case, I would have been appearing with him in adult court. The reason being is because in our county and in our state, before this election cycle, uh, district attorneys could prosecute our clients um, in adult court, our juvenile clients in adult court, without any um, restriction. And so in a case like this, with a 17-year-old accused of murder, that case would have never seen the light of a juvenile courtroom. Yeah. Instead, it would have been right directly filed into adult court. But this time around, last Tuesday, I was in juvenile court with this young man. And surely, sure enough, the prosecution is seeking to prosecute him as an adult, but they're going to have to do so with me in the way, and they're going to have to do so with, with the judge making that ultimate decision. Judicial oversight. And so uh, my thing for this week is Prop 57, the silver lining to this really horrible haunting election from this past November is the fact that Prop 57 in California passed and changed the law and requires that if prosecutors want to charge our juveniles as adults that they're going to have to do so via transfer hearing and via a judge who's going to look at our clients in their totality before they send them off to adult court. And so that's my thing is that I'm I'm just proud of our state for adopting that legislation. I also watched a movie yesterday called They Call Us Monsters. It's a movie that uh, chronicles three young men in the LA area charged as adults for very serious violent crimes before Prop 57. I recommend the movie highly and it um, again reminded me of the of Prop 57, and that's yeah. the silver lining that I'm taking from this election cycle is that at least we got, at least we got that. Yeah, the um, pendulum swinging the other way. Yeah, and it's a it's a huge it's a huge swing, and I wrote a blog post about it today, and um, we can and, link to it in the uh, yeah. Show notes. And so that's my that's my thing uh, for this week. That's great. Yeah, I think uh, I think 57 is going to deliver a lot of good things for people, and yeah. you know we talked about. We've talked before about kind of the problems in our criminal justice system, mass incarceration, and curbing judicial discretion, eliminating the ability of judges to make decisions according to law. And so this is a victory for that second goal of letting judges make decisions uh, according to the law. According to the law and also zooming out from just the crime that our clients are accused of or convicted of and, and looking at them for their entire beings you know their childhoods their traumas their environments their families their prospects their ability to rehabilitate themselves all of those things didn't matter before prop 57 if a juvenile was charged as an adult but now they matter and that's that's huge it's huge so my thing is uh i just wanted to share a, a quick story about the time i ran into antonin scalia in an airport okay i haven't heard this story yeah so uh yeah that's i thought i'd so um, I was in a, uh, I was on a flight. I went from Boston to uh, D.C. and then D.C. back to Boston, like on a day, right? So in the morning went to D.C. and then in the evening came back home. And uh, as I as I uh, got back into Boston, I get off the plane and there's Justice Scalia. Like in the airport? He's in the airport. Like in the, He's waiting to get on the plane to go back to D.C. Mm. So for some reason, he's in Boston. And he, uh, he actually has a security force, and they're in Tweed. Really? They're like what you would think a Supreme Court justice's security looks like. They're like 
uh, you know, they're not in like black suits. They're in these like soft <laughs> fabrics that I'm sympathetic to. And uh, so I just read this case called Prince. So Prince is a, a case where Justice Scalia and the court uh, prevented the federal government from carrying out some gun background checks. And I'm, I'm not going to get into the weeds on it, but the idea was the local government shouldn't be commandeered. That is, forced to do something by the federal government, having local law enforcement do background checks and make declarations and destroy documents. And this is just like an interim provision until the law got on its feet. But it was, it was a step too far for federalism. So I, I read this decision, and it's bad decision in my view because it's making it harder to do gun background checks, mm-hmm. right? But it's a federalism decision. And then I read an article in the textbook, and the article's criticizing the decision. Uh, you know, the idea, the criticism was, in the name of local control or local autonomy, this decision reduces local autonomy. The idea is if you want to restrict bullets in Chicago, but the city next over is having a you know, free bullet giveaway, that's bad for you. Mm-hmm. you know, the, in the name of your local autonomy, it's hurt by somebody else with local autonomy, such as the externalities problem. So I read, the, I, read the art, I read the case, and then I read the criticism on the plane. Like the plane before you Before I run see, into him. You see the judge. And then I see him. And I'm like, You're oh, man. <laughs> I got my criticism. <laughs> he says he's in favor of local control, but he's actually hurting local control. You know I mean? Yeah, you're ready for your oral argument so to, I, the, to the one justice. So I walk up to the, the, the dude in the suit, or you know, the, the men in the, in the, the plaid coats. I said, you know, I want to talk to him. I'm a, I'm a law student. And so I, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, come on oh, over. Okay. And then they're like, Justice Scalia, you know, this is, a, this is a law student. I'm like, hello, Justice Scalia. You know, it's very nice to meet you, sir. And he's like, Did oh. Did he have a lot of fanfare around him? No, it's just him and the two security <laughs> It's like you're guys. the one that recognized yeah. him in yeah. the entire yeah, 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 airport. Yeah. yeah, you know. I mean, he, he Did didn't have... look that official because the guys were in the, right. you know, in the, in the sport coats. So, you know, he did. And so I, uh, I say, yeah. Uh, Justice Scalia, I just read the, uh, read the Prince decision. I just read it. And he says, oh, yeah, what'd you think? Really? <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Actually, that's pretty yeah. great. And I say, uh, uh, it's a good decision. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 sh- says, you shrunk. He said, it is a damn good decision. <laughs> I totally failed. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you, you, know, were, and, you were starstruck? I was just, you know... I didn't expect him to be interested in what I thought about it. Right. Um, and I totally, you know, it was a moment of, uh, you know, I was going to stand up to the Supreme Court justice at the airport, yeah. and instead I totally kissed his ass. Uh, <laughs> yeah, did you kiss his hand? No, no, but, you know, <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, I didn't kiss the ring. Um, I, I only metaphorically kissed the ring. Uh, and, and, you know, that, it, was, it was very pleasant, uh, but that was it. That was, you know, that was the full, you know, he asked me some questions, and that was it. And uh, now... Uh, I'm so glad that we have the Prince decision, because that's the going to be the the you know argument one against this executive overreach in terms right. of co-opting local law enforcement. Right, and it's coming right. up all over the place, but it was just kind of fun, like as I'm kind of reading this, thinking about that that moment where I was you know a young law student, right, thinking Fired I could go up. dust it up. Yeah, <laughs> I told my friends about it, and I was fully open. I've I've all, I've never you know asserted that I was. You know, it was a, a profile in courage. It was not. <laughs> it was not. But that was my thing. Cool. So, 
Hey, let's do, uh, do some Super Bowl picks before we stop okay. recording. Okay. All right. What's so what do you got? We you know this coming Sunday is Atlanta versus New England. I I read today just as an aside. Uh, Michael Silver, who's an NFL writer, tweeted um, Bill Belichick congrat- congratulating Donald Trump for his presidency uh, election, and so I. Uh, it, I, I, tw- I retweeted that and I wrote "Go Falcons." And oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then a, one of my friends says the owner of the Falcons is a big Trump supporter, so I don't know what you don't know. You're confused. I don't know, you don't know what to do. I don't know who to root for. Yeah, there's the no div- one should win. The division seems to be people who hate Roger Goodell wanting Tom Brady to win mm-hmm. versus people who hate or don't like Tom Brady's support of Donald Trump right. and Bill Belichick's you know loving letter, uh, you know right. It was to, basically a love letter to Donald yeah. Trump. Yeah, I, I, I've for many years loved Tom Brady, but uh, he's kind of lost his luster for me. And this Trump um, connection has has uh, really made me not so inclined to root for him. So it's uh, Patriots are favored by three. It's the games in Houston this coming Sunday. So who do you got? I'm gonna take. Uh, I'm gonna root for the Falcons. And my rooting interest is because they've got Kyle Shanahan, who's going to be the 49ers yeah. head coach, and I'd like him to have some juice, you know, yeah. uh, to bring some of that. And I like Julio. Julio. Yeah. I like Julio, and I like their running back combo. So it's just kind of, you know, like, that's who I'm rooting for. Uh, I'll, I'll take them. Uh, I'll take them. Uh, I don't know that they'll win outright, but I think that, you know, yeah. they'll definitely beat three. Yeah, I'm 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 – I'm gonna pick with my heart. I'm gonna root, I'm gonna pick with pick the Falcons to win outright, and um, I'm rooting for Atlanta. I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast uh, over the weekend with Rembert Brown. He's some mm-hmm. Atlanta guy, and basically Atlanta has one championship in their entire sports history. It was like the 1995 Braves. That's it. Like, uh, wait, they didn't win the Super Bowl? No, they lost the Super Bowl oh. to the Dirty Bird team. Lost? Yeah, the Dirty Bird team lost. So I'm rooting for Matty Ice, Julio Jones, and the city of Atlanta. Um, you know, they got the Golden Globes win for the show Atlanta. They got John Lewis. John Lewis. There's, uh, you know, there's good things happening in Atlanta. So I'm going to I'm gonna root for, for Atlanta and uh, we'll take them plus three. I'm going to join you. All right. All right. Hey, thank you all for listening. That's episode two, Aider in a Better Podcast. All right. Have a good week, everybody. <laughs>